This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. For health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 131114. We don't get parenting right all the time. We all have our ups and downs in parenting and we all find it challenging. What is right anyway? For some people, the challenge is having children. Maybe it hasn't been a possibility till later in life. Many women are delaying pregnancy well into their 30s and beyond so they can focus on careers or maybe the timing just hasn't been right. Today, we're meeting a mum who chose her own path for parenting and we're also chatting with our psychologist, Lydia Black, from psych to You. Hi, I'm Jessica Rowe and welcome back to the Navigating Parenthood Imperfect Parents podcast brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. Our next guest always wanted children, but unfortunately, at the age of almost 40, her relationship fell apart, so she had to decide whether to have a baby or not. It was a hard decision. Fast forward to now, and she's a happy and very busy mum. She runs her own business, so the parenting work juggle is very real. It is so lovely to have you join us today. Tell me about your child, your little baby. Uh, He's just turned one, yeah, and just a little ray of sunshine, yeah. Babies bring so much joy, and as you say, Mm. your your son is a ray of sunshine. Mm. In terms, though, of that decision to Mm. have a baby on your own, how hard was that? Really difficult. I think it was a complex decision, but eventually it came down to just really it's two options. I'm either having a baby on my own or I'm not going to be a mother. And I really just knew I didn't want the second option. The challenge for me was once I had done all the things that everyone told me would be hard, would there be enough of me left over to actually be the kind of mum I wanted to be? And you've got a beautiful smile on your face while (laughs) you say that. Had you always wanted to be a mum? No, I was very unsure. I was somebody who wanted to go off and see the world and travel and I had a career change in my 30s and I certainly had a a full life and I wasn't really sure that I wanted to kind of give that up. Um, I think that has been easier for me coming to motherhood later because I've done it. So I've had less of those things that maybe are hard if you have a child in either as a really young mum or certainly kind of in your 30s when you're just hitting your stride. And had you thought that you'd have a baby with your previous partner? Um, I certainly knew I wanted to be in the relationship long term. I'd floated the idea of kind of not having children. Um, but I didn't know whether he did. And that was one of the reasons the relationship, you know, just couldn't work and couldn't have a future. But I think what happened in terms of the the parents would say to me, 
they would look at me and say, oh, it's so hard. I mean, as a, you know, as a single mom, I don't know how you'll do it. And I'd say, oh, so do you think it's too hard? And they would look at me and just burst into tears and say, oh, but I, I couldn't not do it. That's what made my decision is I was like, okay, I was hoping that someone was going to tell me it was easy or that there was a secret or that if I could just talk to enough people, I'd find the trick to doing it. And like, there isn't one. <laughs> and isn't that the truth? Yeah. There is no one secret or yeah. one trick or something to work out. Yeah. How can I do this the right way or yeah. the proper way? But for you, though, you decided to have a, to have a donor so you could yeah. then conceive. Yeah. Was that a big jump? It was and it wasn't. I was coming to terms with the grieving of the life I thought I would have, you know, a marriage, a family, what I thought my life would look like. And I knew that I wasn't ready to make a rational decision. And so I went through the process of freezing my eggs. And without boring you with all of the details of what that involves, it's like doing the first stage of IVF, all the hormones, all the injections, all of that part, but without the next part. You so in your head think, I've I've this I've decided like now this is the life I want and my first round failed and then you're like oh I took all of this pain deciding what I wanted I never thought I wouldn't get what I wanted so by the time my son arrived I was just sure I was so sure because I never thought I would be a mother and that's been helpful for me. Having gone through IVF as well myself, I so understand that feeling because almost as a woman, we have this sense of being intrinsically wired to parent, to be a mother. And if there's a part of you that suddenly thinks, I don't know if this is going to happen for me, it really does make you question what sort of woman you are. Yep. For me, that was a mix of what will my friendships look like because I had friends who'd become mothers before me and you're either in that camp of you've had or you haven't as a woman and it made me feel quite isolated. And then it was a really physical thing, a physical desire for my body to carry a baby. The way I could describe it is that I was going to climb this kind of mountain in life but really I wasn't going to reach the summit, but that's the summit I want. That's the path I choose. And that's what you'd always thought you would have. So in terms then of of becoming a mum, did you know the donor? No, two reasons. One, I didn't know any men in my life who I felt I could ask and that was right. But the good point, I guess, of having an unknown donor is it meant that one of the benefits is that I knew that the donor who'd come to that would have done their own implication planning and, and that that the their reasons for wanting to do it were something that I felt comfortable with for my son. Um, so when you, and many people have asked me about this, but when you use a donor, um, they can fill out a questionnaire and they can talk about their reasons and they can give more or less information. And one of the things that was really important is I wanted a donor who was open to being contacted, but didn't expect it so that my son could make that decision. Yeah. And what then was the pregnancy like after you did that second cycle? You were successful 10 months later. Yeah. What then was it like being pregnant? Well, what I hoped it would be like and the reality were two very different things. So the reality, unfortunately, was that I was quite sick in the pregnancy and it wasn't the sickness that was awful. It was the fact that I'd just bought the business six weeks before doing IVF, not expecting, because who thinks that you're going to get both things that you want at once, right? I just thought, prepare for the worst. And So wait a minute, you are yeah. running your brand new business 
And going through IVF yeah. and then becoming pregnant. <laughs> yeah. So I'd worked in, for context, I'd worked in the business for five years. So I bought the business off my previous boss. So really, in my mind, I was like, the work would just be the same. But the impact for me was really, so the the, the pregnancy was just this low-level kind of sickness all the time. And the impact of that meant that I couldn't then do lots of, I guess, the business development that needed to continue to grow it. And so unfortunately what happened was that we didn't get as many clients and as patients and referrals as we usually would. Um, And that had a really big financial impact, which caused a lot of stress in the pregnancy. Um, And so I ended up having antenatal depression at about five or six months, but certainly up to like eight months. And that was really difficult um, and when did yeah. you realise that what you were feeling yeah. was more than just that you're not feeling, you know, yeah. well and there's something actually more serious going on? So there was a creep and then there was a light bulb moment. The creep was really that, I guess, because I've experienced depression and anxiety before, I just assumed I was going to get postnatal depression. I was constantly sort of expecting it and trying to prepare for it. And so I guess everyone's experience is different, but for mine it will typically start with just things feeling a bit like I'm a bit overloaded, a bit busy. And then that comes to, well, if I can just get control and if I can just fix that problem. And then because you can't or I couldn't, then feeling that sort of feeling of anxiety. And then what happens is that I will think, well, I've got to put all my focus into to fixing the problem, haven't got time to see people. And I'll isolate a bit more and then I will feel really just quite low and depressed. And so those things were starting to happen in pregnancy and I think that's knowing that cycle for me is something that's been helpful postnatally as well. Um, but there was a light bulb moment where I was standing in the shower And I just couldn't stop crying. And I thought, I just, you know, I'd planned this whole day where I was like, I'm just going to clear the day and I'm going to feel in control. I just couldn't get out of the shower. And I was still there. The hot water had run out and I was sobbing. And I thought, this isn't just it's hard being pregnant. I know, I know this is a sign. This is beyond I'm having a bad day. Yeah. So what did you do? (laughs) You got out of the shower. Yeah. So firstly... I sought professional help. I'd made sure that I'd seen my GP in the pregnancy. That was one of the reasons I'd chosen to have shared care is I knew that I was at high risk of postnatal depression, being single, having no family over here. So I'd asked for help and then I activated that help. Um, So a mix of professional and of friends. And I think that's the thing I've also found useful in parenting. Um, So I got back in touch with a counsellor from the IVF clinic um, I got in touch with the counsellor I'd seen before, non-IVF. I told my GP. I was on a low-level dose of antidepressant through the preg- before I got pregnant. I kept thinking, oh, I'll come off it, I'll come off it when the pregnancy is okay. And I had a detailed chat with the GP. Of course, I saw all the evidence and discovered that, and this may not be true for everybody, but the one I was on was relatively safe and I just knew I needed to continue I also, I think, had an unfortunate experience where I asked for some help from one of the midwives and was kind of told her view was I didn't need it. And that was really disappointing. But the good thing for me was that I thought, you're wrong. I do need it. 
I am struggling. And if you won't help me, I will ask somebody who will. Because one, I know that I'm not doing okay. And two, as a single mum, I cannot fail. I cannot fail. There cannot be a situation where this baby is coming in eight weeks and I'm drowning. And if you won't help me, like, I will find somebody who will. I just will keep persisting because it is out there. There is help. And unfortunately, sometimes the first person you come across isn't the right person. So you just keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. What I'd like to get to now is the birth. Mm -hmm. Having this beautiful baby. What was that like? The choice that felt right for me was to have an elective caesarean. I was really fortunate that the actual birth was honestly a very positive experience. Um, I was kind of working until the day before and then I got up in the morning and was like, oh, quick, we need to get to the hospital. Have I organised things like going off to work for the day? And then the baby is out. You then have this brand new baby and then suddenly... No longer is it just you, you are now a parent and you head home with this brand new baby. So I stayed in hospital for five days and my mum came over from the UK to help me for the first three months. My mum is a nurse and that just gave me that feeling of like, you know, she probably doesn't know all the answers, but I just felt like I could ask somebody all the time. I decided to kind of create a bit of a bubble for us. I didn't answer my phone for the few days I was in hospital. I was like, I'm here to learn how to breastfeed, what physio to do. I've got the help here. This is my time to learn that and soak it in. Um, So you were at home once then, you soaked Mm. all of that in. You're at home, your mum's there with you helping. (laughs) Everything's going well. You're thinking, yes, I've got this in hand. Your mum heads home and then COVID hits. Mm -hmm. How did that impact your parenting? Two ways. I think the first one was that um, I felt really anxious. I felt like I had this tiny, vulnerable human and the outside world outside our apartment was no longer safe. But what was difficult for me as a parent, as a new parent and a single parent, but probably any parent, was the isolation, the social isolation, because everybody tells you, particularly as a single parent, but get a good support network. Great. You've lined that up. What if you can't see them? What if the friends who say, I'll come around and, you know, help you babysit for an hour? What if they can't? And what did you do? Because having oh, a new yeah. little baby is isolating anyway. Mm. And also, too, I think you can be fearful about the wider world. Yeah. But you've got this double whammy of actually, you can't necessarily go outside yeah. because of this virus. I guess two things. I was forced to accept help because I knew I couldn't manage without. And also running a business, I then, COVID had an impact on the business that I had to juggle. And I was like, well, paying the rent is also providing for my son. So this has to happen. So what I did really was chose a couple of people who I felt were really safe and had those conversations with them. Um, And these were friends? uh, So I'm fortunate that I have two cousins over here who have been absolutely amazing, and their families as well. And they absolutely love my son too. So they um, they helped me in terms of me just saying, look, oh, I actually need a break. I need to bring my son to you and could you just look after him? But the other thing, I think, I think really the key of what I did in that time was I learned that I had to accept help. I had to be specific about the help that I was asking for and I had to just 
work out what were the things that were non-negotiable for me around, okay, that's not safe for us. And what were the things that I was like, well, we can't manage if we don't do that. I've received the advice from many people of, you know, just let it go or it doesn't have to be perfect. Sure, if I had been able to be that, but that's not in my nature. And so that has been, I say a learning curve, but I'm still not there. I think that's the challenge with imperfect parenting is that it's not actually as easy as just relaxing about stuff. If I was relaxed, it wouldn't be a problem. (laughs) Um, And as you say, it goes against your nature. So it's all well and good to say relax, but if that doesn't make you feel relaxed, it's easier said than done, isn't it? For me, I was given the advice of, you know, as a a parent with a young baby, you know, just sleep, just prioritise sleep, sleep when the baby sleeps. But I found it hard to relax. And so whilst that is good advice and I did it most of the time, there were other times when I thought, you know what, while my son's asleep and I know that might only go for 40 minutes, this is the 40 minutes when I will go and tidy things up dim the lights, watch TV so that I can just have that 40 minutes of just feeling that things are a little bit more manageable. They don't have to be perfect, but they need to be manageable for me. Now your baby is one year old. Mm. What, where are you at now? And and how are you feeling in terms of how the parenting's going? <laughs> um, I laugh because like you feel like I should have cracked it by one year old but and in some ways you have and you only realize that when you reflect in other ways you just think oh so um I think he's healthy he's happy we're good as a unit for me the thing I found difficult is and I think this is probably true of all parents not just single parents but that I feel like I've got to juggle three things my son like the world, you know, life admin, work, whatever that is, paying the bills, all that kind of thing, and me. And some days that works if you are organised and your baby runs to schedule and everything goes the way you think it's going to. Like, it doesn't work like that with a baby. But on those rare days, you can keep those three balls in the air. But the days when it doesn't work, and there are many of them, the one that I put down is always me. And I heard this from many mums that, you know, after a year they say, I want to get me back and I couldn't really understand it because I just thought I would find motherhood so fulfilling that what would there need to be? Um, but it's a bit of that. I think it's just that recognition that um, that there's a few things I could start to find a bit of balance and just find a bit of space for that probably would help me parent better and just be a better role model and, and more balanced, yeah. But it sounds to me like you're doing an incredible job and, and I hope that, you actually realise that? Or, or are you still a bit tough on yourself with that controlling part of your personality? Yep, certainly. I would. I think that's valid. Um, I think what I would say is, yes, today is a day where it feels successful because all those balls stayed in the air in the way I planned. So when I have the chance to reflect and, you know, my son's not here at the moment, so I'm having an adult conversation and everything's, you know, I've had a shower today, I've put makeup on. It's all... You're having a hot cup of coffee. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I've, I've got this motherhood thing. This is, oh, what was I thinking? This is great. But, you know, if if I think back, say, two or three weeks ago, my son had just had been starting daycare. I was like, I'll get some time for myself. I'll clear the cupboards out just sick, sick constantly. And it was awful. And there was those moments of thinking, I can't do this. I just, I don't know that I've got it in me to keep going and keep going and how will I manage? So I think what has happened at a year is you just recognise that there's been those ups and downs and you kind of just know that the breathing space will come in between. 
and you it's not that I think I can do it you just get more used to it I think <laughs> you get used to the almost the, the exhaustion waves. and yeah. the, and the fatigue what yeah. I am really keen to know about mm. you you spoke earlier on about the discussion with your son about mm. where he came from yeah and about the donor mm. have you thought about how you want to begin that conversation or how that is going to be part of your family? Um, a little bit, but I guess really, so So yes and no. I think um, one of the things that I'm fortunate enough, and I keep going back to this really, but is as part of the IVF treatment with the donor, the clinic offers you counselling, like long term. So it's something that when I get to that point, I know exactly who I'll ask. I know that they'll have good answers. I know that they'll be impartial and that they've got lots of good advice. So that will be the first step. But the bits that I do know already is that the advice is tell them everything and tell them early. It's just, I guess, like anything talking to children, you you kind of start with something early on and then you just build on it as their understanding goes. So, yeah, just full disclosure, see what he understands, take it as he's ready, start early. Yeah. And thinking about the future, can you imagine repartnering, meeting someone and then having a new, not dad, but sort of a stepdad for your son? Is that something that you would like or envisage as part of your parenting journey? Yes and no. So, I, you know, I'm very open to the idea that I may meet or I hope I would meet somebody and have a relationship and that they may or may not have children and, and who knows what that might look like. What's surprised me, though, is at this stage, with my son only being one, that really I probably don't have the emotional availability to do that at the moment, um, either to be in a relationship or to do that without it taking taking too much from my son with my son. And I guess that's going to be the balance as time goes on, is I'll have to find a way to nurture the relationships that I need and also be present for him, but I don't feel ready yet. Um, but what in the future, who knows? Yeah. Didn't think this is where I'd be. So who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Yeah. What about how do you manage the mental load of being a single parent? It's not as if you can sort of turn to your partner and say, I need some sleep. I'm exhausted. Please, please take our son. What should I do about this? I'm worried about this. There's not that person there to bounce things off. How do you deal with that just being on your shoulders? The way that I've handled it is I've tried to think about how would I handle this if I did have a partner and how can I find other supports to play that role? So I guess the two ideas you raised there was kind of sort of workshopping those decisions and I just find other people to bounce those off and the idea of what you said there, wouldn't it be amazing to just hand a baby over to somebody? Like the other person's navigating their own stuff too. And so I think that there are times when as a single parent, it is easier. There are times where I make the decisions, the buck stops with me. And so like you just get stuff done. And that's not to diminish relationships, but I think there are, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Yeah. So it's about finding, in terms of how I manage the mental load, it's finding what you need, finding who you can ask for it and asking them for it and hoping that you're supported in whatever format that takes. It's been such a wonderful 
chat with you. What I love is that your speech is peppered with, I'm so fortunate that, Mm -hmm. and this wonderful positive outlook that you have on your life, your life as a parent, the life that you have ahead with your son is just something to behold. And I wish you all the best with it. Thank you. Thank you. Let's chat to Lydia Black from psych to You about doing motherhood differently. Lydia, now our guest really was incredibly brave and open about her experience. Tell us a little bit more about for women deciding to go it alone with a sperm donor, what are the questions that they need to ask themselves to ensure that it's the right thing for them to do? Yeah, and obviously this is not something that any woman's sort of entering into lightly, I wouldn't imagine. Becoming a parent, um, no matter whether you're a couple or a single, is it's a massive decision. It's a very, very big change to your life. And I don't think anyone can really anticipate how much of a change is going to occur in your life until that, that baby comes along. I think the most important thing is that when someone is considering becoming a parent, that they really tap into why. Why do they want to become a parent? What is it about parenting that that they're looking forward to? And to have a really good hard think about when the going gets tough, what am I going to do? You know, who can I reach out to? Where are my supports? Um, and I guess as a single mum, this is a really, really um, important question to ponder. And I would suggest that Having a think about your values is also another really important part of making a decision to become a parent, thinking about what do I care about in terms of how I'm going to parent, how I'm going to manage myself when the going gets tough as well as managing this bub. So many questions, but I think it's not something that anybody's going to enter into lightly. And I think taking the time to consider, taking the time to think, taking the time to plan is obviously really important. What about when you're approaching an age where you know that your fertility is sort of running out, for want of a better way of describing it? I went through IVF, I had struggled to fall pregnant naturally, and while I was trying to work out what to do, it was very confronting thinking about, will I be able to have a baby? Am I going to be a mum? What sort of advice do you have for women who are perhaps at at that stage where they're thinking, am I running out of time? How can I manage these emotions? Yeah, it's a really tricky time, isn't it? And it's and it's not fair, is it, that us women have this ticking clock that is, you know, really putting the pressure on us to make a decision and to get things happening. And, and then if things don't happen the way we plan, it can be really, really hard. Again, trying to be patient and kind to yourself, kind with yourself about this journey that you're on. A lot of women experience shame and blame and that can obviously be really, really hard to deal with alongside the disappointment of of maybe struggling to fall pregnant. So trying to be kind to yourself in this journey, remembering that this is not something to blame yourself for or to shame yourself about. Regret and shame and guilt and all those other really heavy emotions are really, really unhelpful. And so trying to remember that although they're really normal emotions to have, that they're also quite unhelpful and to try and come back into the present moment and do what matters for you. Look after yourself in a way 
that you can and put your energy into doing things that help you to be the person that you would like to be. And then if for some reason you have to give up on that idea of becoming a parent, figuring out, okay, what does that mean for me? Who am I? What else matters to me? What else do I value? And how can I nurture that stuff? How can I look at those other parts of me to fulfill me? The other thing to import, to to remember too is that there's usually a period of grief. Over time, it, it, it changes. It doesn't necessarily go away, but it changes shape and it changes form and it sometimes softens. And so to be patient with that process, that grieving process. Our guest spoke about the mental load that she can't share with a partner, but she would reach out to friends and family. Do you think that's an important thing to be able to do, Lydia? Absolutely. And, you know, I think even sometimes for parents who are co-parenting and there is a partner to share the mental load with, often it doesn't happen. Often people are so busy just coping and getting on and going to work and doing their bit in the family dynamic that there's actually not a lot of sharing of the mental load. Maybe they're trying to protect their partner. Maybe they are worried about, you know, sounding sounding like they're not coping. And so I don't think this just applies to being a single parent. I think every parent has a mental load that they're that they're struggling with. So yes, reaching outside of your your immediate family, I think, is really important to people in the community, to friends, to grandparents, wherever you can find it. Lydia, what about the notion that there might be a part of you that isn't thinking being a parent is so great? We, we talk about, yes, it's difficult, but it's the best thing I've ever done. What if you don't feel it's the best thing you've ever done and you're not enjoying it? You know, I think you're probably not alone. I think there's a lot of mums and dads out there who have moments where they are thinking this parenting gig is not what I thought it would be. And it's certainly not enjoyable a lot of the time. So I think being really open and honest about your feelings is really important. We see so much fake information out there about how great life is. You know, all you have to do is open up Instagram or open up Facebook or open up any of those other social media places to see that people show their shiny side, people show their happy coping side and their fun family side and their fantastic parenting moments and that's that's all we see. So I think the truth of the matter is there's a lot of parents out there that behind those shiny moments are really struggling and finding that the parenting journey is much harder, much, much harder than they ever thought it would be. And I think the most important thing is to, to communicate about that with loved ones, to be able to share with somebody who can support you in those moments when you're struggling and to try and ask for help, ask for somebody to be there when you can't be there for your kids so that you can tag team, whether it's a grandparent, whether it's a friend, whether it's an auntie, whether it's your partner, to be able to say, I'm not enjoying this right now and I need some help. Lydia Black from psych to you thank you so much for offering so much help and support to help us navigate this tricky thing called being a parent. No problem. Thanks, Jess. Well, that is it for this season. 
Thank you for listening. And if you haven't listened to the other episodes in Season 3, make sure you go back and listen to the amazing stories shared by our imperfect parents. It has been such a pleasure to host this season and to chat to everyone. I know I have learnt a lot and I hope you have too. Subscribe, rate and review. It helps others find the podcast. And head to hcf.com.au forward slash podcast for more information, resources and useful links. All the episodes are available on your favourite podcast platform, as are the previous two seasons of Navigating Parenthood. Remember, if you're feeling depressed or anxious and need to talk to someone now, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. And there's always help out there. Head to reachoutparents at parents.au.reachout.com or find excellent help with HCF's partner, Psych2U, an online telehealth psychological service for eligible HCF members and all Australians at psych2u.com.au. HCF shows uncommon care. Our holistic mental health and wellbeing program helps the whole family, giving eligible members quicker and easier access to the care they need. See hcf.com.au forward slash mental dash support for more. I'm Jessica Rowe. You are doing the best job you can. You are enough, you know. Thanks for listening.